fuck it mentality can really go a long way. It's just, you know, people have worked in the past with what they have. Right. And so, you know, they, they end up going farther in that sense. When you, when you have that kind of strive to be like, you know what? I have this, I don't care. It's raw. It's, they almost look at it as like edgy. It's like the punk rock DIY thing. Where it's like, right. I'm just going to do it, you know, with this shitty guitar. I'm just going to make an album. Who cares? Exactly. I think part of it too is like, if you are willing to just dive in and go forward, that maybe you don't have that, you know, self-criticism that slows people down. So maybe yeah. that's maybe that's why they do well. Because they're just like, they don't think about it. Well, here's food for thought. So I was in a metal band, a black metal band. I'm quite aware and of that. So... Thank you. So Norwegian black metal, they do not do anything where it's like top notch recording. I mean, no, they like, record like in a damn didn't. dungeon. <laughs> it's like a dungeon. Well, I remember <laughs> that cra- Cradle of Filth got <laughs> shit for years for having really good studio quality albums. Oh, yeah. So did Dimu. They all got that. I just... Um, have you read Lords of Chaos? Uh, I've I've heard about it, but I haven't read it. I mean, I know the story. I've actually watched the documentary, but I haven't like read the book. It's so terrifying that for people who don't know, it's the, it's the history of underground Norwegian black metal. Um, it spoke. It, I mean, I'd say like forty to fifty. No, more than that, because um, what's his name? Varg is almost in it throughout the whole book, but it focuses mostly on one band, Ma'am, and speaking of like low quality recordings oh my god right that, those recordings those mayhem recordings are just like what the fuck <laughs> there's and what's interesting with the like lead singer is they go into his um history about how you know he was just crazy he would he would take a dead bird and throw it in a bag and like smell it and he would be like oh i'm smelling death and then he would go out and scream and that was the whole difference between you know, kind of like doom metal or that kind of underground, like Cannibal Corpse, because they would they would do a low growl. But with right. black metal, it was like a screaming sound because he basically described it as you know coming out of the grave, as if you were coming back alive. What would that be like? Right. And so that was kind of you know his mindset for that going into black metal. I mean, Mayhem was they were nuts, and I loved it. <laughs> Dead killed himself. They found his body. Yeah. He blew his own head off. They found his body. Sorry right. if we're going to get graphic here, people. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> blew, blew his own head off. And then uh, then Euronymous finds the body and picks up pieces of the skull and saves them. Yep. And there's rumors that he made like stew or something with it. But most people think... Well, not only not that, true. he took a picture of it and then they used it on the front of their next album. Right. Like here's our singer. And it was just, here's our singer, and he just blew his head off, and you know that's metal. 
that black that, metal. <laughs> that book is just so disturbing because you know, like I was totally into the into the music at the time. I didn't really, you know, I heard like those things, but I think you know, like the story with like Ozzy biting the head off the bat and all of these things. You just assume right. that they're like legend. Yes, and, and that kind of makes it cool and interesting. But then, like as an adult reading the book and going, "Oh no, this this is real," and these people mm-hmm. are mentally disturbed. A lot of, especially Varg Vikernes. The guy is, and I don't really care if I pronounce his name right because he's an asshole and a Nazi, Mm -hmm. but he's that. That's probably the part about the book that terrified me the most is like how a good percentage of of those bands slipped into fascism and Nazism. They became almost what they what they hated because they were so, you know, pissed off that a lot of the you know Christian crusades came through and basically tore off you know. Um, all their beliefs. I mean, they would go up on a hill and worship the father, you know, under the sun. And then all of a sudden the church was being built there and they were mad. And so they just started burning the churches down. And then they became the same thing. They become like these proto-fascists where it's like you're, what you're fighting against is essentially like a fascist ideology of, you know, replacing one church with another, like dominance of the, it wasn't really the Catholic church, but the Christian church. I think it was mm-hmm. probably the Lutheran church probably coming out of Germany, but it was all just equally war fair at that point. Who's right. Who's wrong. Just pointing fingers. Until they start talking about like, we were a pagan country, a non-Christian country. We're taken over by the Christian. Right. And we just want to reclaim our heritage. Sounds like a really good story. Right. And you're like, okay, I, I can understand wanting to feel that way. But then the way they go mm-hmm. with it, you're like, mm, okay, never mind. Might have not have been the best approach. <laughs> well, it makes it seem like bullshit. You know, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I want to be a Nazi, but my excuse to be a Nazi is this story over here. And they were young. I think they were like 17 or something like that. And in, in, if you're in that part of the world and you murder someone, you only do what, 13, 14 years? That's it. You're out. Right. They don't do, they don't do life like America. You get life, you know? I'm trying to see how old Euronymous was when he died. Uh, mm-hmm. 84. No, 84 was a band. He died in 93, 25. So he, wow. I think he was older than the others. But yeah, that's a... That's I, think, I think you're right. Too, where Varg walks in and shoots him in the hallway. And then there's this argument right. about it was because he was a communist. It was because he was a homosexual. It was because uh, it was over music. It was over money. There's like 30 different stories that he told about why he did it. Yeah. And and it's, who can you believe? What do you believe at that point? Definitely not Varg Vikernes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's so many documentaries out there. <laughs> well, there's that movie coming out with uh, Macaulay Culkin's brother, Kieran, Kieran Culkin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's called Lords of Chaos, but I mean, it's only a small percentage of the book, obviously. And we'll see how they, how they follow it. <laughs> Well, from what I saw, it looks like... I don't know if you saw the Netflix uh, biopic of Motley Crue recently that I they made. I do not. So basically, it's humorous. It's funny. And it's it's got like... They, they both have that same tone where it's like sarcastic. So I, I don't think that... I, I could be wrong. They might be using like the parts of comedy that are in the commercial in the Lords of Chaos right. movie to balance out maybe some of the darker elements. Um, but it seems like they're not fully taking it seriously. 
which could be blue. It could, yeah. And I mean, when I when I started getting into black metal, I mean, one of the things that was interesting to me is they didn't believe in a god. So what they believed is when you feel that you've reached your peak in life, you take your own life. And that's it. You don't wait for God. You don't wait for anything like that. Right. So like the lead singer dissection, I mean, he did, you know, he was um, right there when the murders took place and uh, he did some time. And when he got out, he was touring the world and America would not allow him in. And I had tickets. This was like 2006. Right. And I had tickets to go see him. I was stoked. I wanted to see dissection. And um, and then the lead singer, John, he just, they, the rumor has it is that America would not let him in because, you know, of his record. So he took his own life. And then when they interview his band, they were basically saying, well, yeah, of course he did. He reached his peak. He was good. And they refunded the tickets because of what he did. And then that's a, once again the scenario of who do you believe? You who know, do like, you believe? Yeah. What's the truth? Then that's the thing about these, you know, as I think in music of all sorts, you know, even referencing what I said earlier about Ozzy and all that, like it's so hard to tell the story from the reality because it gets past, mm-hmm. you know, even, even with the internet, things are still past word of mouth. You know, like this guy said it on this forum and then, it, and then this guy said it on Reddit, but he changed it a little bit and, you know, it's all still a game of telephone. So you just never know. Absolutely. Begs the question, how did you get into black metal? Uh, so I actually heard... Um, well, first of all, I started playing guitar at a young age and I love Metallica. And that was kind of like my gateway. <laughs> and um, one of my uh, good friends introduced me to At The Gates mm. and Slaughter of the Soul was like number one metal album. And I never heard anything like this. And that whole album, I mean, you could listen front to back. It's, it's great. And then I heard Dissection. And that's when I started to dig into that world. And Emperor and uh, all those bands were just underground. I mean, we all knew Slayer. We all knew Cannibal Corpse and you know, those kind of bands were becoming more mainstream. But this was different to me. This was something I had never heard before. And what they were singing about was dark. And I was really attracted to that. I was attracted to the darkness. And so I just kind of dove right in. and, And then I started playing it myself. And... I was really influenced by dissection and I was really influenced by, you know, the whole riot girl scene too, because the whole riot girl with, you know, you had bikini kill and L seven. And of course, you know, we have Nirvana whole and it was something for me where I'm looking up at these women and I'm like, well, shit, they're going out there all punk rock, not giving a, fuck <laughs> and basically i just felt well why don't i take that up just another step and play metal and that's basically how i got into it i can imagine like even me like as a boy 
Kathleen Hanna was like the shit. Because oh, yeah. She, she was just amazing. didn't give a fuck about anything. Oh, no. But she cared. And, well, she I, hated men. She hated men. She would be up there on stage and she would tell all the boys just to get back, let all the girls up at the front. She would push them, moon them, flash them. <laughs> she was the shit. Was I mean, crazy. she still is. Yeah, she's totally the shit. I love her. We, I mean, we were privileged. I think maybe people that are younger now listening to whatever music they're listening to now feel that way. But I feel like we were privileged in the 90s with some pretty crazy music. Absolutely. I mean, most people will just point to hip-hop and, and the grunge. But then when you take in like black metal, death metal, all of these other scenes that were going on at the same time, Riot Girl, that's a lot of... Mm-hmm music pushing boundaries that had never been pushed before. Not to mention we had all the influences of everything before that. Right. I mean, exactly. you can go from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. We had all that. 80s to influence. It was a whole mixture. There was a period of time where like, there was a, tri- there was a triad of bands. And it was like everybody... Uh, it was surprising because we went from like MZ Hammer and ba- and not Backstreet Boys, but uh, <laughs> right. What the hell is it? <laughs> and Vanilla Vanilla Ice. <laughs> yeah, Vanilla Ice, MC Hammer. Um, what the hell was that boy? Marky Mark. Yeah. What was his brother's his brother's group? Um, Donnie Wahlberg. Oh, New Kids on the Block. <laughs> yes. There we go. We went from that right. to Nirvana. Well, we went from that to hair metal to Nirvana. Hair metal was like like the gateway drug. Um, right. But then all of a sudden, you know, it was like the mainstream was Nirvana, Metallica, and Guns N' Roses. Those were like That's the right. three gods of that. You know, there were the there were a bunch of other bands, but those three were like the top of the heap. And like five years before, that type of music was underground. That was you That's know right. nowhere to be heard on radio. And it's like so for me, like the gateway was hair metal. Metallica. I, I went from hair metal to Metallica. And then from mm-hmm. Metallica, then we started listening to like typo negative and stuff like that. Then we got right, into death metal. Right. Depeche and, mode. Yep. And then somebody played me to Eve the Art of Witchcraft by Cradle of Filth. And I was like, what the hell is that? And I, I didn't like it at first, but it was like in my head. Like there's that organ solo. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Is I couldn't get it out of my head. And it and so then I'm like, yeah, you gotta put that on tape for me. So then I had that one song. That's what I love. That's what I love about music. You can you can just be sitting there and all of a sudden like one song will just change you. It changes like it almost feels like your whole direction. Oh, totally. And that's pretty powerful to have that influence over you or someone else. Well, it's because it's it's insidious in the sense that you know, like music sometimes it bypasses like our, our thought process, right? It goes right into mm-hmm. the deeper part of our brain and into like our emotions. So like it bypasses so many filters. And then once it's in there, you're like, oh, this is powerful. Why is it powerful? Because it's already in me. It's, it's really... It's making sense. Yeah, you like that song. Like for me, like I... Because I had grown up in a fairly religious household. So like that was like dangerous. That was scary, which was right. part, yeah. part, part of the appeal, right? So I, w- I was only I would only allow myself like I just listen this song, just this song, and then it would oh, I, I got to hear the other songs on the album, and then it was the album, and then it was Emperor, and then it was just <laughs> floodgates from there. <laughs> yeah, when I was actually today, 
I dug through my old, you remember those big booklets where you can put all the CDs in without the cases? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think I still have one. <laughs> I have like four of those out in the garage that I haven't looked at in forever, which every time I open... Yeah, same here. <laughs> makes me embarrassed how much money I spent on a medium that I don't even look at anymore. But I go out there and I found <laughs> found the first Lord's album and re-listened that Ooh. today. And then while I was flipping through there, I saw a dissection and everything. I'm like, oh, there's so many of these metal albums in here. I haven't heard in so long. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the Lord's album. I don't even, I don't even own one myself. <laughs> That's usually the way it works, right? You're like, How does that happen? <laughs> you're more concerned with getting other people to buy it at the time, right? You're not trying to preserve it. Right. Right. I didn't think about it. <laughs> well, I know like... Uh, there's there was a period of time I don't know if it's still true. There was a period of time where where Eric and the guys in Strata didn't have some of the downside stuff that they made. Like we don't have any of our own. Like there was a couple mm-hmm. of CDs that they printed. They're like we don't have it. <laughs> so there was there was only like a thousand that we printed for mm-hmm. um, Dance to Begin and Blood of Time, and that was it. That's the only ones that are circling out there. The thousand. I have one. <laughs> Just the first one. I never got to the second one. Right. Back in the gaslighter days. That's right. It seems like a long time ago for me. I think it's it's fascinating too. If somebody like popped onto your Instagram right now mm-hmm. and saw the contrast in like you know like you, they wouldn't look at you and go, "Oh yeah, she used to be a in a black metal band." <laughs> I love that. Oh, it's it's night and day. I mean, people do not know. I play music or I did. And, uh, you know, cause it was something where, you know, you're in a band and you're part of this family. Right. And so when I had, you know, I had to look for something else as an outlet and modeling just became that outlet. And, and I always wanted to be a model since I was young. I loved taking pictures and music was kind of that, was both. You know, you take band pictures, you you're on stage, you're playing music, you're sharing your soul, um, and what influences you. But then, you know, you're also wanting to tour the world and see the world. And that's kind of the what I wanted. I wanted all of it. I wanted my cake and eat it too, right? <laughs> that's what we all want. And so <laughs> well yeah, I'm guilty. <laughs> but then it's it's like when when I started modeling, I was like, well, hey, I could create pictures. I could create like scenarios that can, it can be dark if I want, or it can be bright and smiling and beautiful. So I just started using that. And only most recently have I thought about getting back into music again and picking up the guitar and playing and kind of getting back to my roots, as I should say, because I miss kinda- it. There's That's kind of how like we connected because for the people listening, your Lamb has mentioned that there's somebody that he was talking to about making music with. That's you for the people who've heard That's of right. you. So they kind of have heard of you. They didn't know they'd heard of you. <laughs> right. And that's what's so interesting because here I am. I'm just showing up to a Campbell coffee shop and I'm just enjoying, you know, some coffee, morning breakfast, and I'm on my phone, I'm networking, I'm networking, and Lamb walks up to me, he's like, gosh, you look so familiar. 
And we're trying to place it like, where have we met before? And so then when he's like realizing like, hey, did you, you used to be in a band? I'm like, yeah, Lords of the Manor. I used to play with the, well, they were called Downside at the time. And he was, he started laughing. He goes, oh my gosh, I haven't heard anyone say that name in a while. I go, well, that's how far back I go. <laughs> back to the and clown he remembers, Oh my gosh. It was so good because he remembers me uh, sitting there with uh, Ryan Hernandez and yeah. um, Adrian and Eric Victorino. We're just, yeah, and we're just talking after a show. And so uh, I told him, I wish I could tap into your brain and see that. <laughs> <laughs> It is kind of weird. that memory. Because <laughs> like, I was around those days too. I didn't know you then and I didn't know Lamb. But like I was mm-hmm. I was with the guys all the time. But well, I shouldn't say all the time. I would go over and watch them play and then I would go back to mm-hmm. the bar across the street. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I didn't I didn't do much of the lobby hanging out. I was a little bit older, so I was like, nah. I don't I, I'm old enough to go to the bar, so I'm gonna go in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> It just kind of shows how small, uh, you know, the world is and how close it is. I mean, everyone knows everyone. Facebook kind of put that in perspective. Right. Oh, you have a mutual friend. And it's like, huh. Kind of makes you think. Well, also, like, you played, you guys had to have played a couple of shows with Delta, right? Yeah. So Tom's the other co-host on this show, and he was a guitar player in Delta. So there's another strange connection. Yeah, it, it's you know San Jose. It's it's a big city, but it's not. And especially Campbell. Um, when our band, well, yeah, when our when our band went out to Los Angeles, I mean, it was it was huge, and it was different than playing here. I felt like there was more connection here. People wanted to come together. They wanted to build a scene, and I didn't find that when we had you know, transferred out to Los Angeles and tried playing out there. It just felt very, almost like alone. You know, you just kind of, you get up on stage, you do your thing, that's it. And there was no real connection there. And I've always wanted to build and be a part of a scene that, you know, takes over the world, (laughs) so to speak. Was that moving to Hawaii, was that the beginning of the end of the band then? Is that how the band ended or what? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When we had um, moved out there, we were probably only out there for six months. And sadly, our, our my my story is really sad because our um, our bass player was having problems. He was having problems being noticed. While we're in San Jose, we're getting on KSJO, and everyone remembers Sloppy Joe, and so our songs getting played on the radio and. So our bass player would, you know, he'd he'd go into a store, he'd go into a restaurant, and someone would be like, hey, man, you're the bass player of Lords of the Manor. And he didn't like it. He actually didn't like the attention. It bothered him. He wanted to be left alone. And that was something I never expected. Like, you don't know how you're going to react when you start to take off a little bit here. And... Everyone's different. And so maybe this is something that happens a lot, maybe not. But he, you know, I love the attention. 
I liked hanging out with my fans. I liked taking pictures with them. I liked talking with them. They wanted to hear, you know, who influenced me as a guitar player. And I loved it. But for my bass player, he didn't. And he started to go into this like dark hole of kind of removing himself emotionally and mentally from us. And he started using drugs and using heroin and hiding it from us. So he would show up to band practice and he's like pale white. We're trying to take band photos and we're like, dude, what's up? What's wrong? You know, what's wrong with him? And um, so then when we, you know, moved out to Los Angeles, he was thanking us and telling us like, thank you so much. Um, You know, because this is kind of like a rehab for me and I have no access and so we felt like things were, you know, lifting up. And unfortunately, um, it wasn't. It was like my birthday. And um, and we're all partying. We're having a good time. And we decided to do this, un- unfortunately, uh, this photo shoot at 8 a.m. in the morning. Like, what band wakes up at 8 a.m. after partying all night to go do a photo shoot? Like... Come on. It was hell on earth. Um, so, you know, you know, we wake up and unfortunately he decided to, um, to use and he took a hot dose and he had passed away. And so we had, uh, we had found him and we, the sad part is we walk into the room and we're like, dude, Derek, come on, man. Like, wake up, wake up. And, um, He's not waking up. And so then, uh, you know, oh, let's play Campbell Corpse. So we played Campbell Corpse, blasting that music. And then uh, he just wasn't waking up. And that's when we realized it was it was over. So our story was really sad, but we never told anybody. I mean, people knew, but they, you know, we just kind of, it was so heartbreaking that we just we didn't we didn't announce anything really i mean people knew word of mouth and you know close friends and people who came out but that was that was the end of lords of manor for us wow it's a brutal yeah thing. so it was it was brutal and so you can see why i didn't play music for a really long time because it was very very painful yeah that's and, an association uh, that's hard to get over it's really hard to get over. And I know that a lot of other band members go through that. You know, I mean, half the stories out there, you know, they're losing a band member. Um, and so it took a long time for me to come around and start thinking about creating again. A really long time. And that's where like modeling became such a happy point for me because it had no association with any of that. It was just freedom. It was it was becoming like, okay, here's a designer. They want to design for someone, uh, you know, design for the world and how they're going to look. You know, you think about the Renaissance time. Someone was designing all that. Right. It's amazing. Corsets and badass slips. And so... I wanted to kind of be a part of something again, but I didn't know what that was going to be. And so when I found modeling by accident, um, it just kind of took off. 
And so that's, that's where my avenues have been so far. <laughs> Do you still talk to anybody from Lords? Yeah, my lead singer um, is my best friend and we talk every week. I haven't seen Jot in forever. How is he? Oh, I love Jot. He um he moved out to Texas actually. He bought the first manor, in fact. Are him and Angie still married? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And they're they're doing great out there. And um so he actually um invited me out to come see the first manor because our Lords of the Manor was like this dream of we weren't going to really tour the world. We actually wanted to build a castle, Lords of the Manor. An actual and everyone manor. would come to the, an actual manor. Everyone would come to the manor. We would have a stage there and we would just have bands come through and play and we would just headline or whoever headline for that night and we just party it up. And it was basically going to be like a hotel where people could stay there at the vent. And then we would just play shows and people just be coming in and out, having something either every night or every weekend. We weren't really sure what we wanted to do, but that was a dream. That was the vision. That was a whole part of the name. That explains, I was looking at the, the booklet. That explains something that you, that you have on the booklet here. I don't know if you remember what you put on the back yeah. Let's call us at the manor. Harass That's us. That's right. <laughs> yeah, totally right. You were practicing for that already. Oh, uh, we wanted it. <laughs> we were asking for it. Oh, you guys actually <laughs> put your personal phone numbers on here too. Which we did. We put our phone numbers there. We wanted to have... <laughs> we wanted phone calls. That and was a different world though them. too, right? It wasn't that scary to do that then. No, not at all. Now it's like, oh, well, I guess it's the same as social media in, yeah. in a sense, you know, it's like someone could just send a message directly. You could choose to answer it or not. Do you think having been in a band at a time when social media was, well, I don't want to say non-existent because I think MySpace was around, but it wasn't really much help. Do you think that Social media giving bands access to fans as it does in the long run is a help? Uh, or do you think that we've lost something? Well, I mean, like when you look at how that affects society, it can almost be unhealthy because we're on our phones or we're on social media, our sleep patterns. Some people have anxiety, depression, just spending too much time on social media. And, um, I think, I think it enhances, of course, if you're trying to run, you know, a business, you know, you could think of a music as a business bands, um, anyone who's trying to promote themselves. So social media kind of affects the way we perceive or a customer would perceive a business brand. Right. right? And, um, I think it enhances the experience of sharing information. People want, you know, as, as a fan, I want to know what's going on with someone that's influencing me. Right. I want to know everything about them. And so, and, and I want to have a personal connection. And social media kind of gives that. You can go to that person's site and be like, oh, wow, they're here right now. They're, you know, on vacation or they're, you know, they're going to be coming to town soon or they're working on this project. 
this new movie coming out. People like to be a part of that. They right. want to know the secrets, the ins and outs. So I think that's great as far as, you know, that kind of influence. But when I think about MySpace, that, you know, that was the start of it all. And I feel like with Facebook and Facebook kind of opened up more of a, almost like a politics avenue because I kind of felt like now with social media, politics are, you know, they're now more accountable and accessible for yeah. like voters. So I feel like that's more like, like Facebook is more like the family. Facebook is more, you know, kind of showing more politics where MySpace is more for for yourself, for music, for the artist. Yeah, that's how I kind of right? feel and look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't open. I mean, it was open to the general public, but the general public for the most part wasn't using it. It was mostly people our age. Well, not our age now. Mostly people <laughs> when we were younger. You're right. No, I see. Right. And, the, 18, and I do feel that not too, many, not too many parents are really on Instagram. They're right. on Facebook. And, and a lot of the younger generation, they are getting out of Facebook. A lot of them are de- deleting it. And they don't want to be a part of it. They, they like the Instagram. They like the stories. They like everything on there. See, I wonder also, you know, like going back to what we were saying about you want to know what's going on with the artist. Do you think that there's a line there where, you know, because I think about, maybe I should give you a little background on where I'm coming from. Um, when mm-hmm. I think about that era and before, you know, pre-social media, there was a mystique about bands and celebrities in general because we only had access to so much information, right? You know, like if they sure, that's right. they did an interview in a magazine, you know, you go get the magazine and you read the interview and then you just devour like that little bit of that interview. And if you know you're a super fan, you're mining it for information. Okay, they, I, I would do this. Okay, they like this album, this album, and this album. I need to listen to those albums. And I feel mm-hmm. like because we have so much access on social media, maybe not in every case because nothing's ever 100%, but a lot of times it goes over that line to where you're getting too much information to where you're not as interested. It becomes, you know, like you're, it's almost like you become ungrateful. You're like, oh, here's, mm-hmm. a, here's a wealth of information. I don't care anymore. But if it was just that one interview here and then, you know, the, li- the liner notes and the album and this, then you're totally obsessed. So I wonder where the line between those two is and, you know, like where you're just giving just enough. You know what I mean? Well, and that's where I feel like it comes down to the artist because social media, like Instagram per se, has given it back to the people. So right. I no longer, as a model, have to go through an agency and have them, you know, promote me. I could promote myself. And that's a great so point. So now that everyone is basically promoting themselves, that's where they have to either pull in the reins or not and monitor themselves and okay, I'm just gonna, you know, give them crumbs right now. Because we have full control now. I don't have to listen to someone say, Hey, you're not tall enough. You can't, you know, you can't model because you're not this size, you're not this shape. It it's changing. It's starting to be back in arc the people's control. That's a really which, good which point. is nice. Really nice. Brings that up to have it. I've talked about the social media mm-hmm. thing 
and that's the first time that's come up the decimation of the gatekeepers because that's right. yeah, it definitely was you know like before for music the hard part about local bands was um your whole goal pretty much was to get signed because you knew that you could only get so large as a local band because that's the that's the reach you had there was no other way and you're to at their mercy and that's the only and thing they're going to promote you that's the only thing I fear about like Instagram, you know, Instagram being owned by Facebook, these large corporations owning, you know, these, these gateways, you know, there's no gatekeepers, but there are gate gateways and they own the mm-hmm. gateways. You know, like when, when uh, people got pissed off because Instagram changed the algorithm and it screwed a lot of like uh, independent artists, like they weren't getting their pieces, weren't showing up in people's feeds anymore. That's a little scary too, because it's, it seems like there aren't any gatekeepers but they're just behind the scenes more, right? Like they can. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely being monitored. What you like shows up more. Like, like there's a lot of models that have phone numbers, booking phone numbers in their Instagram. You know, like if they change the rule tomorrow, where they're like, no more phone numbers, they could screw over a lot of people really quickly, right? Yeah, they could absolutely. It's a little terrifying, but I mean, there's what's the alternative? There is. There's no such thing as you know, like a a non corporately owned social media. <laughs> I feel like where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> Maybe we can make a co op one where all of the users own it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Theoretically possible, and just who wants to do it? I don't know. What's in it for them? It's just interesting how you know a lot has changed, even with magazines, and I've been. Uh, getting published in magazines, but it's kind of like a lot of things are going more in the direction of being online. I still like to hold a magazine. Right. Yeah, there's there's something different. Like I have the Apple News mm-hmm. where I get the magazines in the Apple News. And that's nice because I, I have access to magazines I wouldn't actually buy where I just want to read one thing in it. But the magazines that I really enjoy, yeah, I want to hold it because I'm sorry, there's no digital screen that looks as good as a photo on print. Right. And even even like the, you know, like People Magazine, <laughs> you know, they're not the highest quality <laughs> pages and stuff like that. But even those magazines look better than a screen. I don't like reading a screen. I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge fan. Like they have the, the Kindles and everything. And I'd rather hold a book. You know, I have, I have a, a huge internal problem with that because with myself because I do prefer reading books but I have so mm-hmm. many books and I acquire so many books that I can't like literally keep that many books so I had to like train myself to start reading ebooks and what I do now is like it I only buy books in physical form if I can't get them in digital just because I have like if I look to my right here I have 900 books mm-hmm. on shelves right oh, here oh wow that is a lot <laughs> So, you know, and I'm actually trying to get rid of some. <laughs> I'm trying to digitize some of it <laughs> because it's just too much. But that, that's my problem where it's like, yeah, I prefer books. But if I had all the books that I own in paper, I would live inside mm-hmm. of a house made out of books. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as you can imagine, is not the best on 4th of July because it's just one big fire hazard to have a house made out of no, books. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All the all those years of books gone in one night. <laughs> well, and you know, speaking of of um, you know, fire fireworks and Fourth of July, I just got back from 
Shasta Lake. And what was interesting to me was the whole time I was out there, I did not have any access to the internet. No phone, no nothing. And it was really nice to unplug and just let go. And as soon as I got back into town, it was like ding, 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 ding. And I was almost shaking. I was like dreading looking at my phone because I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I got to get back to all these messages. I got to get, you know, I got to answer this and do that. And it felt like a job, like I was getting back to work. It is a job. And I kind of wonder, yeah, that's exactly how it felt. It's a job we all take on and we get no pay for it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like the worst fucking job in the world. (laughs) Yeah. so (laughs) You're available 24-7. You don't get paid. (laughs) You can't escape it. I think as I've... And we're addicted to it. (laughs) Oh, totally addicted to it. You know, you get your, your pulse jumps up after you... Like when I do these, I have the, the computer screen in front of me. I try to turn away from the computer screen because if I stare at this thing for like two hours, by the end of these things, my heart rate is like 20 beats higher just from staring at the screen. Right. I mean, have you heard that um, likes on Instagram or if you have a like, it's like that of doing a line of cocaine? Yeah. It's that a, kind of endorphin being dopamine. left released. <laughs> and they said there's they've experimented with there's all these things they were saying they do, they've experimented with um delaying people's likes showing up to like get them mm-hmm. more addicted to the app where it's like oh if they got the like th- that moment then they wouldn't get the same rush so we're going to wait and then give it to them in 2 minutes when they close the app and then they'll see the notification come back into the app and then the rush will be even bigger which is wow gnarly right how much research they put into this shit or like you have to pull down to refresh because it reminds you of a slot machine all of this stuff and that's that's the repulsive side of social media that that really bothers me Mm -hmm. knowing that we're all being manipulated in some way but we're all kind of signing on for it as well absolutely we're signing on about i think it was about four months ago i deleted all of my social media I now have... Well, I shouldn't say I have. Lamb, Tom, and I have an account for this show. But we, mm-hmm. we only use it for the show. And when I post, I post from outside the app and we don't follow anybody. I just can't get hooked back into that because in the months since then, like the amount of sanity that has come back to me... Not that I felt like I was insane before, but like being relieved of mm-hmm. it, I realized, like you were saying, the level of, uh, that I was operating at was insane. Where it's like, oh, I yeah, was, it's, it's constant. I was dipping into it. You know, like you don't even realize how many times you dip into it. And it, you know, there's all the tricks of like, oh, don't put it on your phone and all this stuff. But you, you fall back for it, you know, you because you're like, well, that's a pain in the ass. Anything that's a pain Absolutely. in the ass, you know, you're like, I don't want to go on my computer and look at that <laughs> shit. Even though, like, back going back to MySpace, that's the actually only no, I don't. Well, and that's right. We were on our computers, but you're right. I don't. If I had to log into a computer to look at Facebook and Instagram, I would never do it. Right. It's so convenient with the app being on my phone. Yep. But that's the thing was, you know, I thought that was MySpace is a really interesting topic in and of itself because, like, it was technically not the first social media, but it was the first big one. It was the first one that most people that you knew were on. 
And it was so, but at the same time, it's so different than every form. You know, like you had to go on a computer. There was no mobile. We didn't have, uh, you know, we had Snake on our cell phones. That was about it. You know, there was no mobile yeah. browser. So like, and it was, there was no feed. You know, there was the bulletins or whatever. But so you had to go to each person individually and go, okay, what's up with this person? And look at their page. Yeah, you you had to literally wonder, how are they doing? Yeah. Huh, let's go check it out. And I, I have to admit, I kind of miss that, that purposefulness. Yeah. You know, because there's a passiveness right. to like current social media where it's like, oh, I found out what that person's doing. Doesn't mean I actually mm. wanted to know. So like you don't really absorb. But when you're actually making a choice to go look at something from somebody, you're going to remember that because you're choosing to engage with it. And it felt like it was more rewarding to me. You know, I could just be, you know, the way older people talk about like the golden age of television. I could just be right, right, glossing over the past and making it better than it was. But it seemed like it was, I don't know, it seemed like it was more fun. Well, yeah. And you got to make your page, you put up like a, you know, a back wall to it and you had music oh, yeah. playing. All the, and... all the flash stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, people would go all out and just deck out their MySpace. And I, I digged it. I, I thought it was great. Was it the top five or the top 10? I always can't I think remember. It was like, or top four? Might have, you have, might have been top five. For anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, when you had a MySpace... You had, you know, say you had 50 friends. Nobody had like 300 friends then, but you had like 50 friends. Right. You'd pick like a top group. And then those were like, I think they just showed up at the top of your page when you signed in so that you could go check them out first. But then when people mm-hmm. went to look at your page, they could see who your top people were. So it was like this, there was, there was a, probably the first intrusion of like um, social media guilt. <laughs> And I was like, why am I, why am I not in your why, top five? Yeah, how come I'm not top five? Yeah, like if you don't have I your girlfriend in your top adding five. adding more and more. And yeah, you were in trouble then. Maybe that's why I can't remember the number. Maybe it was like five and then it was like, okay, fine, you can have 10. I think they did five, eight, and 10. That I think sense. that's how it went. Yeah. I think technically it still exists too in MySpace. And Tom was still, was it? Tom, that was for Facebook. Didn't do (laughs) the unchanging photo in the white t-shirt waving. I know. (laughs) It's so funny. All you people too young to have experienced MySpace, you really missed something. (laughs) It wasn't very long either. It was maybe like what, like a year, Mm. or was it? It wasn't very long. Maybe it was longer. I'm not sure. It felt like it was like. I felt like. After 2008, when the economy crashed, like everything changed, and that's when MySpace pretty much changed. Yeah, because it was like mm-hmm. MySpace, and then it was like I remember. Actually, technically, I signed up for Friendster first because everybody's like, mm-hmm. "Check this thing out, Friendster." I'm like, "What's that?" I signed up, and literally the next day, everybody's like, "Never mind, we're going to MySpace." I'm like, "What the hell is that?" So now I get jump over that. And then I felt like it wasn't very long, like maybe a year, maybe two, if I if I stretch it. And then it was on to Facebook. And then Twitter was That's like right. right after. And it was weird to have Facebook and Twitter at first because you're like, wait, both? Why do we need both? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. It was a it was an interesting <laughs> interesting. Why did I type in Facebook? I was trying to look up the history of MySpace and I typed in Facebook. Bastards. <laughs> 
They've been, they've been well, what's funny, mind. there's like a running joke of how many apps do you need to just talk to the same people? <laughs> we got Snapchat, Instagram, you know, Facebook. <laughs> it's, it makes it, it like now makes a little bit more sense in the sense that there are a lot of people leaving certain services or only on certain right. ones. But for a while there, it was literally, yeah, like, oh, did you see my post on, on, uh, on MySpace? No, not MySpace, on uh, Facebook. No, but I mm-hmm. saw I saw the repost of it over on your Twitter, you know, because right. we were posting the same shit in three different places or four different places to the same people. It was that's what you call excess. <laughs> Do you know to... about Marco Polo? Uh, the game? No, the app. No, what's that? So, so yeah, so you download Marco Polo. And basically, you do a recording where you're talking to your friend. So if they live far and whatnot, you just, you know, do a little selfie, start pushing record, and you just talk to them like, hey, man, how's it going? I've been, I've, I've been doing this. I've been doing that. And then they send a video back to you like in response. Almost? Pretty much. Yeah. And they call it Marco Polo. Interesting. I know that... Yeah. There was a guy, oh shit, I don't remember who it was, a couple of years ago. I think it was like one of these like, you know, people that try to tell you how the best, coolest ways to use your social media account. And then they get famous for telling you how to do it. Um, and it was he was replying to people. Oh, you know who I think it, I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you know who that is. Mm. Um, mm, no. When people would send him something on Twitter, he would reply with a video. Instead of replying, oh, really? you know, like, oh, thanks. He just like record a video and be like, hey, thanks. I really appreciate that. Boom. And send it back. So like in a way... That's maybe, a lot of work. <laughs> it, was, it was a predecessor to Marco Polo maybe in a way, right? It I could thought, be. See, that's, that's how fast this shit happens. Because I thought TikTok was like the new thing. But now it's already jumped to Marco Polo. Yeah. Uh, I can't find... I'm really trying to find the year that it took a shit. That... MySpace took a shit. Um, yeah, I should probably. I'm guessing it's 2008 because I just feel that sounds about that was right. The crossover. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh, here we go. Okay, on November 1st, 2007, MySpace and Bebo joined. Okay, so it's saying all of a sudden all these other social medias opened. Then you had Orkut and Facebook. Yeah, I think you're right. It looks like late 2007, 2008. Good call. Wow. There you go. You could be, be a tech reporter. <laughs> I love it. Sign me up. <laughs> do I get paid? <laughs> well, nobody gets paid to do writing anymore. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's the shit. I was just explaining that to somebody today. That like, I was like, I'm gonna, there's this publication that maybe I was going to write for. And then I was changing my mind like a week later. And the person was like, why did you change your mind? I'm like, because the pay is not that good. They're like, what's the pay? And then I explained it. And they're like, that's, you know, I was like, it's $300 an article. Well, that's good. It's like, no, not really. Because you're putting like... No, you can't live here off that. (laughs) And you're putting like 10, 12 hours into an article. Like, that's not very much money an hour. When it comes to... Nobody pays, you know. I don't Like for modeling, do you... You have trouble with like getting the, you know, like... Um, Having to argue about rates with people and stuff. Because everybody wants... 
shit for cheap now. Oh yeah. And and it's like you go back and forth too because sometimes it's like the designer's paying the photographer, so the photographer pay, um finds a model. And mm. then it's like, okay, well, let's say the model doesn't know the designer. They don't know that they're paying the photographer. The photographer normally pays the model. And so sometimes it's like, hey, I know you're getting paid. <laughs> like you know, help me out. You know, you don't got a picture without the model. So it's it's really when you start to become more in demand that you can, you pay your dues. So when I started out, it, they call it trade for photo. And, mm-hmm. um, oh, is that you what know, TF- TFP? P? I saw that somewhere. Right. Oh, well, maybe it was on the your... TFP. Maybe it's on yours. No TFP? It is on mine, yeah. So okay. I, I put no That's more because I don't want to deal with that anymore. I've paid my dues. I've done my share. And so basically, you are supposed to, in trade, get the photo. But what, what the problem is when you start out and they're taking pictures of you, you used to get a print, high resolution. So now they're sending it to you through email and I'm going back into maybe a few years back and I'm trying to bring up the photo. I'm like, this isn't even high resolution. I can't print this. Oh, fuck. And so, yeah. And so when you upload it onto Facebook, it totally distorts it. So if you were to try to take one of my photos, save it, print it, it's not going to look right. The only way it can look right is if you go directly to the photographer and say, hey, can I get a copy of the high resolution of Julie Matthews? Oh, yeah. Let me bring it up. Let me send it to you. And then you could print it. So, um, so I, you know, if you are starting out as a model and it's trade for photo, make sure to get high resolution, whether they send it through a drop, Dropbox, um, some type of link, because I didn't really do that. And a lot of my stuff was just, you know, it was saved on the computer, but the resolution is not quality. And so, you know, I, it wasn't until maybe after I started modeling for designers, um, my first designer I modeled for was West Coast Leather. And, you know, he he takes care of, you know, who models for him and photographers. And um, then I went over to, you know, that opened up the door to model for a lot more other photographers and designers and things like that so but yeah i mean it's not something where i can make you know real money out of it and uh you know everyone kind of has a running joke like well none of us are in it for the money <laughs> it's like the music business until so, you get famous right yeah exactly you really pay your dues you know it's like in music you play all the dive bars and you know work your way up and but with modeling, it's a little bit different. You know, you you do a lot of fashion shows. A lot of fashion shows are not paid. And um, that kind of gets you out there. It's networking. And, and I love it. I mean, I started out modeling not to get paid. I really started out because it was a passion of mine. I just wanted an outlet, something that, you know, I can create with someone. Because when you speak with a photographer, it's like, hey, what kind of photo shoot do you want to do? And uh, you kind of go back and forth and come up with ideas. It's like writing a song. 
and then you basically have the foundation. All right, let's create. And you get in the room and you just you just create. You just have fun. I mean, you were mentioning how you had a bunch of books and I just started thinking photo shoot. Oh, I yeah. started imagining myself there in, in walls of books, reading a book, you know, wearing a designer's uh, outfit. I mean, that's where my mind goes. Piecing piecing it together, it's, a, it's like um, wardrobe for you know, like films and stuff like that too, right? You know, it's, it's a absolutely more, a more part of your brain. Yeah, putting together the scenes. You know what I'm curious about is um, maybe it's just because uh, it's never been my experience to to be around for this, but like, is it weird? At least when you're starting out, you know, like there's a lot of shots that you've done that you're in either a bathing suit or in underwear. Is that weird at first? Is that uncomfortable at first? Or were you just like naturally not, uh, did you just like naturally not think about it? Well, yeah. So when I first started, it was like no semi nude, no nude, nude, nothing of it. And so, you know, it's like bikini was as far as I would go. And what helped me modeling is I got really comfortable with my body. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked at it as a breakthrough that now I could be, you know, in front of the camera and be confident and feel sexy and feel um, like, okay, you know, I, I like pictures like this. And it was a gradual type of, I don't know, just evolving into what I think is art. Because so many, you know, famous painters have painted, you know, figure modeling and things like that. And and I started getting into that. I started getting into figure modeling and portrait modeling. And I have a lot of respect for it. And so I look at photography the same way, just as someone painting me. I think it's just as beautiful to capture. Um, and I started modeling for a... Uh, Dark as Fox mm-hmm. and high fashion lingerie. And I love, love their line. And once I started modeling for them, it just really took off. And I just, I was completely comfortable with my body at that point. But it can be a little awkward because when you start out and you are not comfortable with nudity, mm-hmm. I mean, you'll get into a room. And a photographer will be like, oh, okay, um, now why don't you take your shirt off? And you're like, why? Oh, yeah, that would be weird. Why would I take my shirt off? I'm modeling. I'm supposed to be modeling clothes. Why am I modeling my birthday suit? <laughs> <laughs> See, it has to be discussed. I mean, a lot of times, if you're going into it, like, hey, like I was kind of mentioning before, when you're working with a photographer, you think, okay, hey, I would like to work with you. Okay, awesome. What do you want to do? You start sharing, kind of like from Pinterest, you start sharing ideas. Oh, what if we did something like this? And, um, you know, maybe it's like a, a sheet drape, you know, silk like over the body and it's out in the woods and it's all artistic and high fashion or whatnot. And, and that's great and that's fine um, if you're going into it like that. But if I show up to a photo shoot, and I'm supposed to be wearing jeans and a t-shirt or shorts or modeling, I don't know, makeup and hair. And then they say, okay, now take your shirt off. I'm, I mean, that's not what I signed up for. And so you can right. see 
that becomes pretty awkward. Yeah, that's and catchy. I mean, do you take people with you? Yeah, and I've had to say no. I mean, it's just like, well, no, I'm not comfortable doing that, or that's not what I signed up for. Yeah, because I and uh, I can imagine how yeah. many. There's got to be a, at least a small percentage of people out there just like waiting to manipulate people in situations. Well, yeah. So when I first started modeling, so this is how I got into it. Um, I my my girlfriend of mine, um, we've gone to school forever and together and been through so much together. And so she's my best friend and she hits me up and she's like, Hey, um, I'm looking for a designer. Um, I have an idea for, and I need to find someone that can create it. And so we drive up to San Francisco and it's rainy and it's, it's just miserable outside. And we get there and we see a sign in sheet. So we start signing in and this gentleman comes up to us, approaches us and says, Hey, are you here for the model casting? And we're like looking at each other, like, what is he talking about? And we're like, no, we're here for like the uh, tech fashion networking event. And this gentleman's like, no, that's not until next Wednesday. And we're thinking, Oh my God, we drove all the way here through the rain. Are you kidding me? And you know, for those who are listening, uh, you know, it's an hour away where we're driving. So he's like, well, why don't you come in and, you know, why don't you walk for us and try out and just have fun? So I was like, all right, hell yeah, let's do it. So when I was auditioning and walking back, he had me do like the whole catwalk thing. And I was walking back and he goes, okay, all right, all right. Um, you can do a uh, editorial, you can do uh, fashion, you could do makeup, hair, you can model, you know, foot modeling, hand modeling, but you'll never do runway. You're not tall enough. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And he said, I'll set you up with two of my photographers and they'll take you out because you need to start building your portfolio. And I thought, okay. And to kind of speed up on that story, it's funny when someone says, oh, you'll never do like what he said, you'll never do runway. I ended up at New York Fashion Week 2018. (laughs) So it's like, never listen. Like, I mean, I was just happy that he was setting me up with photographers, but it's just so funny how someone can say that one thing. And I mean, what? What does anyone really know what anyone's capable of doing? Right. Everybody like so, thinks that the little experience that they have, which even people who have a lot is still a little, that that's like mm-hmm. enough to know everything, you know, like, oh no, right. I can't do that. How do I know? I've been a photographer for 15 years. So what? Right. The fuck's that mean? That's, that's your experience. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I kind of felt like three years ago, everything was still kind of changing because, you know, we're seeing like plus size models and things like that, which I don't even agree with the word plus size. I don't, I personally don't even like that, but um, it it's rewarding to see that, you know, the standards are changing and it's being more acceptable. Right. And even height is becoming to be more acceptable. Now in fashion shows, it's like, Oh, are you five, four? Okay. Well, Wear your tallest heels. Oh, are you five seven, five nine? Okay, wear your short heels. Now we all are the same. That's so so strange to me too, because like height, you take okay. So fashion essentially is showing 
you know, if you're showing clothing, but it's also you're showing the woman who's wearing it or the man. And it's, you know, the, the, the two things working together, making the clothes fit on that person. And then that makes people go, oh, yeah, this line or this item is amazing. It, but at its mm-hmm. core, it's based, you know, it's playing off of our idea of attraction, right? You know, we're putting, right. putting someone up that make, and making them look good because we want to trigger the attraction part of the person's brain. Not because we're trying to turn them on, but because we want to trigger that so that they want to buy or they want to, you know, yeah. write about it. But when you think about like in, when it comes to attraction, like height is not really that big of a deal. You know, obviously, like if you're very, if you're like two feet tall, okay, some people might not be attracted to somebody that. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're like an eight foot tall woman, yeah, okay. But that's like the extremes. But you know, like the, the minimal like level that they would do modeling height before didn't make sense in the public. You know, like, right. You know, the, we, we were far more accepting of that in society than like that they were. So that seemed like a weird thing that they put on that. Yeah. Cause fashion models have a very particular height and measurement standards and typically age too. I think it's like 16 to 21. Mm-hmm. Most agencies want the age of a 16, well, 13 to 16. And uh, it was like models like uh, from Victoria's Secret, like Adriana Lima. I mean, she was uh, discovered when she was 13 in Brazil. And uh, and like, I think it's um, Alessandra uh, Ambrosio. I think I might have butchered her last name. Um, she's one of the highest paid models. And she's a wonderful model. And so I, I kind of look at... Um, that experience that I had where it was kind of eye-opening to that world and what I was about to enter into. And when I got set up with the photographers, the second photographer had sat me down and he said, listen, you haven't done this before. You're not in this industry. I just want to kind of coach you and let you know that there's going to be times where you know, someone's going to say, oh, yeah, I have a camera. I'm a photographer. And they're just trying to get you naked. Right. And you need to be safe. Yeah, and make sure that, you know, everything is discussed and put into writing. Because you don't want to walk into that room and be put into an uncomfortable situation. And I think a lot of that shit happened in the 70s and the 80s. There's a lot of... Oh, dude, yeah. And some of them being even famous photographers taking advantage of women. Because of course. they could, and there wasn't a damn thing anybody was going to do about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's also there's a there's a documentary. I can't remember what it's called right now. It is about there's this complex um, apartment complex in Los Angeles, and it's like famous as the place that uh, where kids that are trying out for TV shows. So they have pilot season. So all these kids show up for pilot season to try out for all these TV shows and movies. And almost all mm-hmm. of them end up staying in this apartment complex. It's famous for it. I can't remember what it's called. I think the documentary is called like the Hollywood complex or something like that. Mm. But in the documentary, you see that they have these people like just scamming these families where they'll come in and they, oh, yeah. they'll go, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I want to be your agent. I want to represent you. You've got a look, you've got something special. You're like a young Brooke Shields. And then they, you know, they get them all excited. Oh, somebody's noticing me. 
oh, awesome. And it's an agent. I need an agent. And they go, okay, what you're going to need is you're going to need a new headshot. You're going to need classes. You're going to need this. So they name out like all these five, six things that they need. And they go, we work with the people downstairs. Go see the people downstairs and they can hook you up with that. And what it turns out is these people upstairs that are the agents, one of them is married to the person who owns the business downstairs. (laughs) So they're telling them all this stuff they need so that they go downstairs and then they spend it and then they never get these kids any gigs. And I imagine in the modeling industry, shit like that happens a lot too. Like how do you vet the legitimacy of somebody? You know, like especially if they're connecting up to you via Instagram. Well, that's why I I freelance, and um, a lot of times, I mean, I'll I work on a referral basis only, and that's how I basically have done it since that second photographer sat me down, and it was at that moment that a lot of models. So, so it's a small pool, and in within this pool, I mean, there's set photographers and models. So we all talk to each other. And so we'll reach out to each other. Hey, have you worked with this photographer before? What was your experience? Mm-hmm. And not to say that everyone's going to have the same experience, but right. you know, we do our research. But you can at least gauge temperature. You have right. to. You know, like one negative, three positives. Okay, I get the gist. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And it's all in the work too. Before, like I... I mean, I wasn't really picky. I, I loved everyone I worked with and I felt like everyone had their own style. But there was, you know, other models who, you know, they had certain demands where, okay, well, if you don't use Photoshop, then I don't work with you. Oh. And I look at photography as an art. So if you are more or less about just the lighting, then I need to know that. Um, and sometimes going into it, I'll say, well, you know... Um, I I love that you use natural light. You know, is there is there any way that we can edit? Would you be comfortable with this? And and some agree and some don't. But you just have to discuss all that before going in. And I always ask, do you use Photoshop? You know, and uh, because you're edited, and there's actually something going on. Because when I visit New York, they were, um, I believe, trying to pass a law where you could not. Um, over edit a photo hmm. because it was getting like to that. the point where they were extending legs and making you look taller than you were and making your eyes bigger and your cheekbones and your lips. Oh, yeah. And, there was a video yeah, it, on YouTube about yeah. somebody doing that. I'm going to send you two right. photos right now. I want you to look at these. Okay. Uh, you can, I think you can look while you're still on the phone, right? This is from... Right, right. Yeah. This, this is from Maxim. And... I literally, I I brought these up to share with Lamb, but you brought this up. I'm like, oh, it's such a good time. It's a great photo <laughs> of this girl. And then I looked at it closely and I'm like, I saw the Photoshop mistake. And I don't, you, you, you look at it right there. You can't see it at all, right? It looks like just a normal photo. Right. Okay. Now I'm going to zoom in. It's going to be of her butt. So don't think I'm being rude. I just want you to look at okay. what they did to her butt with Photoshop. <laughs> they drew her okay. ass crack in. Oh my god! Isn't that weird? Like that I, I looks because the strange. lighting because the lighting the way the lighting was there wasn't enough contrast to show the difference between her cheeks. So they went in and drew an ass crack. How fucking weird <laughs> is that? 
<laughs> they got to the picture and they went, oh, she looks good, but she looks like she has one big ass cheek. That's not good. So somebody went in with a one pixel black pen and an ass crack. And it looked like they, they emphasized, you know, the bottom of the cheek there. And it even looks like underneath her hand, you know, they emphasize that shadow. Yeah, absolutely it does. And for everybody oh listening, uh, I will put these up on the Instagram so you guys can all see too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I was just flipping through something. It was like, uh, this is, I think it's maximum, I'm pretty sure. And it was like, uh, says 20 or 50 sexiest women a year or whatever. And I, whenever I see those lists, I'm always like, who's number one? Because I'm always curious. And this, this, is, this girl's number one. I'd never heard of her. So I was like looking through her photos and I just happened to like zoom in on some of the text because it was like a PDF version of it. And when I mm-hmm. moved my hand over, I went over to that part of the photo and I'm like, whoa, that's not normal. That's, <laughs> that's not a real butt. So think, That's what's interesting too. Is is uh, you know it can be a form of art because you're using Photoshop almost like painting. You're right. painting onto the photo, and I have total respect on that. And I don't mind if you know what they're changing, but I just thought it was interesting the whole controversy, like in New York, about it that they wanted to ban it. I think you know, for a certain. There's a certain percentage maybe that makes sense. You know, it's like, okay, I changed, you know, 10% of things in here. But, you know, like if you're going in and you're changing 50% of it, like, why do you even need a model? Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know like, just take a picture off the internet and change that one 50%. <laughs> so there's a, I, I can see where people like, maybe they just want to draw the line. You know, where's the line where it's too much? Exactly. And I think that's, was the concern because the influence it has is, oh my gosh, you know, if you have a young girl and oh my gosh, she's not, you know, I'm not perfect like this magazine cover. And so they felt like that kind of was, you know, destroying the self-esteem of young minds um, and making it unrealistic expectations to live up to as far as, you know, the look yeah, like the and, oh, I mean, it, my boobs aren't filters. exactly the same size. My left one's a little bit bigger than my right, but this group right. are exactly the same. No, they photoshopped right. them. That makes total sense. And there's so much pressure and that type of influence and got to be perfect or something, you know, whatever goes to their mind. But really, it's like the imperfections are beautiful too. And it's, you know, I've, I, you know, and as a model to a photographer, a lot of people don't know that you find out so much insecurities. All, all models have it. Everyone has insecurities. And they really come out when you start modeling. Oh, I bet. And photographers have to deal with it. Well, they have to deal with it because the model will say like, oh, you know, I don't like this part of my body. I don't like that part of my body. And it's like, why? It, you're beautiful. And it kind of was shattering. It was like um, I had a friend who got into photography, and I was her first subject. And um, so she was, she was almost like kind of, you know, confiding into me, like, "Oh my gosh, it's like breaking my heart because I'm working with these other models. It's like, how do you not see, you know, how beautiful you are? But it's just how we've all been raised, and we're, we are so harsh on ourselves 
Well, and I don't know if men experience that. Oh, we definitely do. Trust me. Maybe not all men, mm. but I don't think all women experience it either, right? You know, some women think they're hot shit. Right. Some men think they're hot yeah. shit. <laughs> um, but the, the average guy, totally. You know, whether it's uh, people have insecurities about... Like, I know it took me a long time to accept the fact that I was going bald. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to have that haircut, that cool haircut. I'm never gonna be able to have that. Right. You know, uh, weight, of course. You know, like guts, stuff like that. A penis size, mm-hmm. all these things. Yeah, men definitely totally have insecurities about all this stuff. I assume for male models, it's got to be even worse because, you know, like having someone take photos of your body and having insecurities, it's it's like a magnifying glass. That's probably why they all surface. Absolutely. Right? You know, like you might think you're like, oh. You know, um, I might think like, oh, my gut is a little big. But then when somebody takes a photo of it, now I'm like, holy shit, it's huge. You know, because now I'm looking right. at it. Whereas before I'm conceptualizing it in my glances at the mirror. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> That's tough. But I think that part of it, you know, part of it is like that perfected image that they've, you know, like, uh, you know, the perfect woman, the perfect man that they put up all the time, which we still do. Movies, everything like mm, that's very true. You never yes. see love love story movies about average looking man meets average looking woman, and they have average making love. You know, right? <laughs> they, like they're super hot, and and you know they screw like bunny rabbits. It's never <laughs> there's never that like realism of real life, but I think it has to do with magnifying those insecurities in us makes us more vulnerable to be sold things. And I definitely have that myself. I mean, you know, going into it. And and there's a lot of pressure with boob size for women. And it's just kind of, it's it's just a thing. Because you look at women in, you know, like Marilyn Monroe, it was like, you know, 40s, 50s. These women were very voluptuous. And then it's kind of like you get, to a point where you kind of look at women now and it's more like skinny and smaller breasts. And so then you kind of see someone else and they, Oh, well I want to have big boobs. And so that's always a factor too, or a big butt right now, butt implants are in. That's so tricky. Uh, yeah. Yeah. See, I think, yeah, I think there was that phase in the eighties too, where it was like really skinny body. Big boobs. Right. You know, like they went from voluptuous, you know, like you said, like Marilyn Monroe, if she was around now, would be considered a plus model, which is weird. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Exactly. Big hips, big, well, not huge enough, huge boobs, but bigger boobs. Mm -hmm. And then then it was like, okay, tone down the bottom, boost up the top. And then it went to like, tone down everything, you know, we want everything small and tight. And then that was butt, and then butts came back. So it's a, I guess we're having like a butt renaissance. And that's how I feel about... That's why to me, the body is just beautiful no matter what shape and size. And yeah, that's why I like when the modeling world that it's changing because we are all beautiful and we're all different types for, to for each other. Like I, you know, my... Or a guy might like, you know, skinny where another guy would like, no, I don't want a skinny girl. That's not what I'm attracted to. Right. Well, and what's what's quote unquote hot? 
you know, what, whatever the socially accepted, you know, norm is, is only a matter mm-hmm. of time. You know, it continually changes. You go back to, like, look at the Renaissance painting of these women that they painted. They literally had like rolls in their right. bellies. And that was yeah, considered absolutely. hot because they were rich oh, enough yeah. to have food. So it's like, I'm rich That's and right. I can pick out. And money was attractive. Absolutely. It was sexy. And it just, that changes. I, I guess in a way, uh, we're lucky that we moved past that, that money doesn't make you attractive anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to some degree. Some people still believe that, I'm sure. But I mm-hmm. think uh, <laughs> We had we had a lot of Playboy bunnies in the eighties that were quote unquote farm girls. So I think we got past that. <laughs> <laughs> Poor can be attractive now, thank God. Because <laughs> most of the world is poor. Yeah, I think that that beauty standards are just it's hilarious, and it, because it, there is no there is no standard, like you said, you know, like sure. Um, everybody thinks the big butt thing has a lot of it's tied to Kim Kardashian, right? She does nothing for me. I don't find her attractive at all. And her butt, that one picture of like her naked butt that was on the internet all over the internet a couple years ago, that picture horrified Mm me. I was like, I don't find that attractive at all, but that's me. Right. And I, I do feel for, you know, those girls out there who are like, okay, now I have to get this butt. Oh, yeah. And because, you know, it's like enhance your natural beauty and that's going to make you happy. And that's what I would say. And that's a hard thing because, like you said, it's like they're, they're getting that image of what they should do from, you know, magazines, from movies, from television, because they haven't figured out who they are yet and how they are beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that we haven't taught people. And I'm sure I'm 100%, no, not 100% of anything, but 90% positive that's focused more on women than men. But men do suffer Mm -hmm. from that too. You know, if you don't have a six pack, you're not hot. That's not true. You know, you have something else. You know, like some, some women like men with guts. I remember there was a, you know, or some women like men with uh, white beards, you know, some right. older men, some like younger men, but that's who you are. And all you have to do is find the people that find that attractive. And now you get to feel sexy instead of having to change something about yourself to feel sexy. That's a weird, a weird thing to like, it is together in yeah. a brain, you know, they haven't figured that out yet. They think that there is, there's answers. They haven't figured out that the world is really more individualistic than than they're told. Yeah, develop your uniqueness and what sets you apart. Yeah, join a metal band. It's hard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's all anyone needs to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my personal journey has been... I, I think everyone's personal journey, it just takes time and realization because, you know, again, society plays such a role. And I think I was mentioning it before, it can cause a little bit of depression. Absolutely. Well, you feel like you're, you know, you're pushed outside of something. Yeah. You're like, how am I going to get in? Oh, I'm not going to get in. I'm always going to be out. And then like, 
I think our sense of, someone told me once, our sense of how our well-being comes from how we look at tomorrow or the future. And if you don't see something interesting and something exciting and something that, you know, you don't see a happy future ahead of you, yeah, your life sucks. Because that's all you're going to think yeah, about. Yeah, pretty much. You're like, what do I have to look forward to? Nothing. And I can understand like for people for so long, for people who are overweight, like looking at the future and, and like, oh, why don't you go exercise? You know why they don't go exercise is because number one, same reason most of us don't want to exercise. It's fucking hard. And it's, yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of fucking willpower. But then <clears throat> they look at it and they go, well, what if they start thinking things like, well, what if I lose the weight and I'm not pretty? Then, I, then I'll still be out. You know, like then I, so they lose that ability to look forward to the future because, you know, like they've been taught to think like, uh, like they lost, you know, like probably from family or something like that, or somebody talking shit to them or destroying their self-esteem. So yeah, it's hard to get over that because they don't have anything to look forward to. They're not going, I'm going to be sexy and everybody's going to love me. They're going, it's probably not going to work for me. Yeah, and that that makes me so sad. I feel like everyone carries like bears a cross, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and even I have my own. I mean, I have my own depression that I suffer with, and I actually started using um, exercise not to oh, I need to be skinny or I need to be sexy or you know fit whatnot. It was to fight depression and. Sometimes when my friends come to me and they say, hey, you know, I've been down and I'll tell them, do not drink alcohol. Whatever you do, do no. not drink that. Just go exercise. It's like doubling down. It does. It really does bring you down. And I'll tell them, all you have to do is exercise. It releases the endorphins and it battles the, the depression and just get outdoors. That's all you have to do. It's, it's literally the second best medicine. The, the best medicine being other people, you know, like being around people and, and human interaction. Those two things, like they're better than any drug on the fucking market, hands down. Mm-hmm. And like, I always like to remember chemicals in the brain. That's all it is. Yeah. It's chemicals. Absolutely. And yeah, when you're around people and they make you feel good, it's dumping those positive chemicals into your brain. And now it's, you know, you're mm-hmm. medicating yourself. Or you're walking and like when I go for, I go for long walks every day. I have a dog. You probably heard him shaking his collar a second ago. I take him for walks mm-hmm. every day and we walk for at least an hour, sometimes two, two and a half hours. We go for really long walks. But I know that minimum, even if I have to do a quick walk with him, I won't walk anything shorter than 30 minutes because I know for a fact that the pace that I have to go with him, that when I hit 30 minutes, that's when I get the release of the endorphins. I feel it every time at exactly 30 minutes. And I need that medication for me. Absolutely. It makes a world of a difference on how you look out on life too. Do you ever, do you ever get into like a journaling or anything like that for, for dealing with depression and stuff? I want to, uh, I've been told it really helps. And, um, I mean, I feel like my journalism I've been trying to do that with modeling and photography. I wanted to do sad photography. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to show... Because you go on social media and you're like, wow, everyone's smiling and happy faces. I wanted to show like something dark. I wanted to show like my past, what things that I've gone through and kind of show like this real side to me that is frightening. 
because right. we don't want to show anyone that side, right? Like there, there was a time when I was younger and, you know, I got strung out on drugs. I was like actually on the street. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't think I was going to come home. Neither did my family. They didn't know where I was. So that, you know, I wanted to kind of set up something where it was like, hey, what if you just show, you know, something like that? Just a picture. Just someone feeling hopeless. Right. Feeling like they don't want to be here. And just kind of like taking it to that kind of, you know, aspect of it, spectrum of the world of modeling. <laughs> I don't know if you'd call it modeling art, whatever. I don't remember. An album cover, who knows? <laughs> if it was with Lamb or with Tom, I confuse my episodes with them. But one of them, we were talking, I think it was with Lamb, we were talking about how there's not really any movies, and this is shocking to me, that show homelessness. You know, you see oh, some, you see like one or two movies here or there where it's like, oh, this guy's homeless, but he, you know, like a, that Will Smith movie, Pursuit of Happiness. Homeless with his kid, mm-hmm. gets a job and fixes everything. You know, it's a rags to riches story. But you never see right. about like, this dude is homeless. He's homeless at the beginning of the movie. He's homeless at the end of the movie. But this is his life. Right. But there are millions of people that are homeless. So we literally don't want to show that. That's why there are no movies about it. We don't want to show it because people would feel guilty. And it's hard to see someone give up because in a sense, people feel like that's what it is. Right. And we don't always know. And there's always a story there. I mean, like from personal experience, I, I did not want to go home. It was the hardest thing to face myself. First, first of all, to face what I've done and then to face my family and how I hurt them. Right. It takes a lot. It was like the most scariest bravest thing I've ever done in my life. And if I could do that, I can I can go up on stage and I can be in front of a camera. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. That's <laughs> you nothing know? comparison. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Oh my gosh. And that's that's a real personal side of me that I'm sharing. It's a very dark side um, that I don't even like to look at or really express a lot of times because it it was scary. I didn't like it. I didn't like that side of me. Mm. But we've all had, you know, we've all had some type of demon in our lives and uh, you have to overcome it. And it's really, really hard. One of the things that I have found beneficial about journaling is that those things, and not just the darker things, the good stuff too, taking all of that stuff mm-hmm. and putting it out into the physical world I don't understand. I can't maybe articulate this properly, but something about that process gives you a handle on things in a way that you can't just thinking about them and just feeling them. And I I know that um, not long ago, I heard a psychologist talking about when someone is feeling anxiety or they're feeling depression or something like that, that they should say it out loud. I am feeling a little bit sad. I am feeling mm. a little bit anxious because one, when you say it, when you speak it, it actually moves it to a different part of your brain. Now it's moved to the language center of the brain. 
And when it is in the language center of the brain, you have more control of it. So I imagine something like that similar is happening when you journal. So what I've found is that as, you know, like I could be angry, furious. And then once I start journaling and I see the words that I'm writing, it diffuses it. Where I'm like, oh, that's, no, I don't, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to feel this anymore. And you just kind of dissipate it. You know, it's not like you're turning something off and becoming a robot, but you just decide you're like, that's not the state I want to be in. And it's, it's, I would highly, highly recommend it, at least um, something to try. You know, don't be harsh or like, I'm going to do this every day, but whenever you feel like it, Mm -hmm. write something down. It's really, it's fascinating how something that simple can have such an effect, kind of like exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, I always felt like what comes up must come down. Absolutely. And I think it's normal to get depressed. I feel that, you know, kind of taking a look at yourself and where you're at and, you know, is this what I want? And just having all those questions and kind of doubts, they're, they're good for you because that helps to kind of throw you in the direction that you want to go. It's when people get lost in that rabbit hole and right. they get out. Yeah, feeling sad is not a bad thing because if you never felt sad, you wouldn't know what happiness was like. You know, you'd just exactly. be a plateau. But yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. like when you, when you dip and then you're down in there and you can't get back up, that's when things get gnarly because they're controlling you. You're no longer controlling them. Your emotions are... Yeah, you've given in. They say the the madmen are running the asylum or the lunatics are running the asylum. That's kind of what it's like. Like, oh, the worst parts of me are in control right now. Fuck. Right. So I feel like like journaling is like almost like prying the door open and be like, I'm coming back in, motherfuckers. So (laughs) better get back in your cages because daddy's home. It's like three metaphors there is wonderful. (laughs) Nobody wants a dad that puts him in a cage. What the fuck am I talking about? (laughs) Well, it's great that um, that we're speaking about this because I also um, like to write stories. Oh, really? And so, yeah. So, so that's kind of something I've been tapping into and, there was a part of me that wanted to write, you know, books. And then I really started getting into like more like screenplays wow. and kind of wanting to see, yeah, to see if maybe I can get that to come to life. And I have to say, it takes a long time when you're working on a story. Oh yeah. It, there's a lot, a lot that goes into it. I'm seven years into a novel right now. There you go. <laughs> it's extreme. <laughs> but yeah, there's so much. There's so many little details. I was explaining to somebody the other day. The script, I would assume, is similar um, in the sense that you know it's not like a short story where it's like, oh, this is just a couple pages. But when you're doing mm-hmm. something longer, at a certain point, yes, you're still writing, but there's also a part of you that's organizing. You know, there's a, there's a project yeah. manager. Somebody has to remember all the details. Some, you know, like there's a part of your brain that has to serve that function of like, remember this room has carpet. So every time you talk about this room, remember it has carpet. And this character has blonde hair. So when you talk about it and you start to say her red locks, you need to change that. So you have to... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's all of those little things. So why, why does it take time? You know, because 
it's a lot of work to juggle. You know, I had somebody joke around and send me a, a clip of some movie where the person was talking about like the novel that had been working on for 20 years. You know, it was like a comedy sequence. And they were like, is that what you say when people ask you about you working on your novel? I said, no, I say it's taken me seven years because it's fucking hard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's so rewarding. Like, um, what, what are your influences in that? You know, what type of films are you? you well, know? I love time travel. Ooh, I'm completely obsessed with it. Yeah. If I could go back and change, I don't know, pivotal points in my life, I would. And so I just kind of put that in everything that I write. So what do you think about the the paradox of time travel then? You know, like that if you go back and you change something, would it change like so much? Effect? Yeah, would it change so much that you weren't able to go back in time? You know, like, I changed this person's life just by one little thing. But because of that, I wasn't born. So then I didn't go back. Well, I kind of think that it would be like parallel universes. Ah. So maybe we all have tons of parallel universes because maybe, just maybe, in the future, we are completely evolved that we can go back in the past. So I could be a Julie that's living in this time period where certain things have happened to me, but there's another Julie that's living a better life. I think about parallel universes every day. No joke. Every time I... Yeah. Not every time I do something. This, I'd be insane if that was true. <laughs> every, every once hey, in a while. Hey, why not? Let's just go there. <laughs> every once in a while when I do something, I'll, you know, like if I almost hit my head, I will think... Right, exactly. There's a version of me somewhere that just fucking cracked his head open. That's exactly what I've always felt. I'm like, we're that moment where you're like, oh my God, I almost got in that car accident. Oh, that person almost hit me. Well, yeah. what about the time it does? Yeah, like somewhere I died right there. And what stops you from that one moment? Think about it. Like, was there something that came back in time and just saved you just at that moment? Because it feels like a miracle. It feels like something stopped you. Right. You're like, oh, they, like the other day, the dog and I were crossing the street. Car went through mm-hmm. the sidewalk, uh, crosswalk right in front of me, like not looking. Yep. Three you inches. Probably feel it. Oh, yeah. I felt it for sure. I felt the wind of the car. And I was thinking, I'm like, man, what, what's, what's the difference right there of half a step? It's seconds. It's like just seconds. And then you got to think back, okay, what was I doing before I left? What caused those three seconds? Crazy, I, but I mm-hmm. love the parallel universe theory. One, so I have this. I, I've never shared this before. I have this very interesting idea about time travel, and you seem like the mm-hmm. right person to share it with. <laughs> so okay. imagine <laughs> I have an idea of you know, the, the, all those time travel mechanics are always a problem when writing time travel stories, right? Because if you don't mm-hmm. use the parallel parallel universe theory, then you have to worry about all those consequences. But what if time repairs itself. So say you're able mm. to go back to, we'll say, 20 years ago and check out yourself 20 years ago and interact with yourself 20 years ago. So everything you're doing there is tainting the timeline, right? You know, whatever you say to young Julie is going to change her because you didn't say it to her before. But the moment you right. leave and go back to your current, you know, the time that you're from, the time 
erases that you ever that you were ever there and fixes itself and the you remember it but time doesn't exactly that would be an interesting way to do it where it just erases everything you changed but you got to experience it i love that i you absolutely like the, could do that you would be the best historian in the world because you could go back and just <laughs> be in every in every place and every time and you're not going to screw it up so you could be like nope not true you know jesus actually had dreadlocks i saw it yeah <laughs> here's the photo even you know <laughs> well and why is it that some people are like you know oh the holocaust never happened yeah, or some terrifying. people say like oh hitler hitler escaped i'm like what are you talking about he killed himself he killed his dog and his and his wife well he actually killed what, himself. what's crazy is i did watch i watched a few things and they think that maybe he didn't because so the body this this something lamb and i had talked about on the show like when we, we were doing weird like uh paranormal and conspiracy stuff for a while mm. and uh there so the whole thing with hitler's body is hitler's body was supposedly they couldn't find it at first and then they found part of a skull they had the part of his skull fragment in a the kgb had part of his skull fragment in like a museum in russia mm-hmm and then in, I think it was 2005 or 2015, this researcher went over and was given access to the skull and did DNA testing on it. Now, they didn't have Hitler's DNA, so they couldn't see if it was Hitler. But what they did find out right. was that skull fragment was a woman's. Oh, interesting. So it wasn't his body. I have and, to say, that's an inter- interesting mu- museum, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was like, dead Nazi skull... Uh, the right. Nazi, but yeah, there's um, there's a, a fair amount of evidence in South America. You know, obviously you can't verify whether it's true or not, but there's a fair amount of evidence that can be verified that they had a plan to escape. Whether they actually did it, you can't prove it, but there were definitely plans to go from here to here and then get over over to South America on a submarine. And then there are people who say they saw him, and it's crazy. It's possible. It's so weird, though. But the Holocaust definitely did happen. There I know. No legitimate exactly. theories or, against Like that landing one. on the moon, though. People say we'd never landed on the moon. That's another one. They're like, why is the flag waving? There's no air in outer space. There's a Mythbusters where they went in and put the flag in the vacuum, and they're like, here's why it's wagging. Or, you know, that's why. <laughs> Because it's on a stick and it does this. And because there's no tension, it just keeps moving. So they prove that one wrong. I love those little... I just love that people... I love them too because it's fascinating to me because I just think about parallel universes and I'm like, did we all just get mixed in with each other? Some people come from a, a world where, yeah, there was no Holocaust or, you know, we didn't land on the moon and we're living in the one where we did. And then they're just crazy. See that's and that, that is a far far more generous interpretation of what I think <laughs> than what I think when people deny the Holocaust because I think for me I know I just think oh you're just an asshole yeah 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 well because, don't get me wrong like I'm not believing them but it's just it's really interesting to me oh yeah me too like ancient alien stuff like I think most of it's bullshit yeah. but I love listening to it I love hearing yeah. it. 
I mean, haven't you heard? We're living in a post-truth world now, apparently. People Is that what they say? That. Oh, yeah, because of <laughs> Trump and changing the truth all the time. So everybody's like, well, we don't know what the truth is anymore. And it's kind of true. We can't verify anything anymore. So nobody wants to believe it. Mm, though no. we have information at our fingertips. Yeah, we just don't believe it, right? Like these flat earth guys. Like, oh, the mm-hmm. earth is flat. But like, really? And then what's all this fucking data we're getting from the satellites? It's lies. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> you have fun. You have fun living on your little plate. <laughs> <laughs> Being afraid to sail too far. Have fun with that. <laughs> I'm going to take an airplane. <laughs> Fear will turn you into nothing. <laughs> <laughs> there's, you know, there's a there's an extreme group of the flat earthers, and they're called the space spaces fakers. I've heard about this that they still believe the Earth is flat and everything, and they think that the Earth is you know what we when we look up what we're seeing is a projection. That there's no stars. It's all bullshit. Then what are we in? Apparently we're living in a fucking snow globe. (laughs) 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 That's what it sounds like, right? Flat on the bottom, dome over the top. That's a fucking snow globe. Pretty advanced for a snow globe, but okay. (laughs) I I hate to tell them, you know, that's been done. That was the Christmas (laughs) special of Black Mirror. That was the... Right. Sorry, I guys. love that show. Oh, so love that show. Did you watch the the newest season? Yeah, with the video games. Did you see with, that one with Miley Cyrus? Was it, oh, uh, was, no, I don't think it's that one. There's three new There's ones. There's like one where the guys go into a oh the Viper like one. Play videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the DL <laughs> in the video game. <laughs> that one was really good. I love it. I liked it. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, the Miley Cyrus one was interesting to me because I'm watching that whole thing and she's singing that pop song and I'm like, this is reminding me of something. This song sounds so familiar. And it isn't like till like halfway through I realized I'm like, she said something like, I'm going to get what I deserve. And I'm like, oh my God, it's Head Like a Hole. She's doing yeah. a, a pop interpolation of Head Like a Hole. But it took me like 20 minutes to piece it together. <laughs> Brilliant show. So good. Absolutely. Highly, highly... That's not underrated. I think it it gets about as much praise as it should, right? I've been trying to tell everyone to watch it. That's for sure. (laughs) Especially if you're like one of those people that used to love the Twilight Zone and those anthology series. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think uh, I've taken a a good chunk of your evening away from you. Uh, hopefully you've been having fun. Sounded like it. I've been having a great time. Thank you. Me too. This was a great experience. Well, before, for all the people who are actually enjoying it too, that stuck around, we should probably tell them where they can find you online and whatever you want to plug. So anchors away. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, you can go to Instagram and just type in Julie underscore underscore Matthews and you can find me um, on Darkest Fox uh, website underneath Julie's favorites or models. And um, you can find me on Facebook and it's Julie Matthews Endless Mirrors uh, for Facebook. And 
that's pretty much my info and all the links are are there all right and i'd like to try to end on sort of a bang of some sort so do you have any parting wisdom that we i can just that way you can say something and then it'll just cut to music right after you say it all right well um you know believe in yourself make things happen (laughs) Oh! <laughs>